0: Thanks very much, Joe. Good evening, everybody. Has everyone got an outline? Brilliant. Okay, so how to love your church, talk one, the church that Jesus is building. Are we all on the same page? Excellent. It's quite hard to read people's expressions under masks. When you stand here, you just see a load of eyes, and you need to see a load of, thank you, Lydia, that's a good smile, smiling with your eyes and your eyebrows. Um, Deep joy underneath, that's right. We all need to learn to smile with our eyes and use our eyebrows a bit more, don't we? Um, Right, so the church that Jesus is building, Matthew 16, 18, this just comes after Jesus has been acknowledged by Peter to be the Christ at Caesarea Philippi, and it's that turning point in the gospel. And look at what he says. He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Uh, Three things, Jesus, church, and you. Firstly, it tells us something about Jesus. As a mission statement or a purpose statement, it is very clear, isn't it? This is a promise that Jesus is going to do something and he's telling his disciples ahead of time what he is doing. He is building his church. That's what he's doing. Um, Three things about this. Firstly, Jesus tells us right away that what he is doing will be opposed. The gates of Hades is a way of speaking about the forces of evil that oppose God, his people, and Christ. These are the same powerful satanic forces of death that have been in opposition to God since Genesis 3 and which undermine God's rule in the world by corrupting his image-bearers, denying him glory, spreading lies, and taking away the worship that it is due. So it's a formidable enemy that we're talking about. And the gates of Hades, the satanic forces in the world, are powerful because they have at their disposal the power of death and the fear of death, the fear and hopelessness of death that covers the entire human race. And it's in that context of a brutal, powerful opposition that Jesus says... I will build my church. But secondly, notice that Jesus says his plan will succeed. I will build my church. This powerful opposition, powerful though it is, is not powerful enough to make Jesus' plans fail. And therefore, the third thing to notice is that this actually gives a bit of an insight into our world, doesn't it? I don't know how you, you kind of view the world. Have you got some kind of you know controlling sort of metaphor to, to sort of Image of the world. Well, here is here is one. It's not the only one, but here is a biblical metaphor. Here is one lens to view the world through. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. Can you see what that is like as a as a kind of a lens to view the world? There are two prevailing spiritual powers in this world. There is hell and there is Jesus. And they are locked in this battle throughout this age. And what is the battle about? What is the what is the sort of the, the prize for the battle? It is the growth of the church. Now if that doesn't change the way we kind of view the world, then I don't know what is, uh, what will. But if that is a surprise to you, it might be because when I say the word church, uh, something different pops into your mind uh, uh, by that word. So the second thing we need to think about is the church. Our thinking about church has been shaped by influences both inside and outside the Bible. So what is this? You know it's a trick question, no one wants to fall into the trap. (laughs) It's a church, or is it? So someone stops and asks directions, how do I get to uh, B&Q or something like that? Um, And you might say, well, you go round the roundabout, you go left at the pub, and then it's opposite the church. And even I am not such a theological pedant that I would insist on saying, in that context, you go left at the stone structure that was built to shelter the gathering of God's people. It just takes too long to say. But we know, don't we, that this isn't a church. This is a church building. It's one influence, though, on us, because there are about 30,000 of these little funny-shaped buildings in this country. Did you know that? And so it's kind of crept into our thinking. So one of the things I want to achieve in this series, is a very minor aim is when I put that picture up and say what is this no one is saying or thinking this is a church because it isn't a church this is a church building what is it church Church building to be completely correct it is a stone structure that was built to shelter the weekly meetings of the local christian fellowship in other words it's a rain shelter it's a rain shelter that's all this is it's a very pretty one isn't it but it's a rain shelter or we might say the church of england People come across that experience, use that expression, the Church of England, by which they mean a big sort of organization, a denomination. Um, or have you ever heard someone say he's going into the church? It's a sort of thing people used to say maybe 50 years ago, three sons, what are you doing for career? One's going into the army, one's going into the law, and one's going into the church. It's a career path. Well, what we're going to see is none of these three uses of the word church can be found in the Bible but they're out there in the language that we speak, and so will have had an influence on the way we think about church, as will our own personal experience, our church traditions, and so on. One of the biggest mistakes we can make in thinking about church is to confuse the true church that Jesus is building with a human institution that we happen to call church. So not every institution that goes by the name of church is the church that Jesus is building. Some things that go by the name of church have very little to do with Jesus for reasons that we'll see in due course. Some things that go by the name church are even opposed to the thing that Jesus is doing. And this is true for some entities that even look like local churches. So not everything that calls itself a church is a church that Jesus is building. There might be an entity, for example, that it looks very strong and successful and impressive, but it might not be the church that Jesus is building. There might, on the other hand, be something that looks very weak and small and unimpressive, but that thing might actually be, again, for reasons we'll see, something that Jesus is building and might be actually, therefore, completely invincible because it's the church that Jesus is building. So it's an important question to know what the church is that Jesus is building and not to be confused by other claims to church because we're going to be asked by Jesus to put our time and effort and resources into joining him as he builds his church. You want to make sure it's the right thing. So that's Jesus. Secondly, the church. Thirdly, you. See, as well as those cultural influences, there is an even greater influence on our thinking that is actually going to stop us from understanding the church in the Bible. If you've been educated in the Western world or in Western culture during the last 150 years, which I think is most of us, not all of us, but most of us, then you are, whether you like it or not, immunized with this particular uh, disease. You're not immunized, you're, you're tainted with this particular disease. What am I talking about? I'm talking about individualism. Now, some of you who are at startup, you've seen this already, but it's worth seeing again. Um, here is individualism it is me at the center of the world. So deep is this trait. But although none of us would ever express it like this, we really do kind of live as if the whole world revolves around us. I love this Burger King advert because it expresses it so well. Have it your way. You have the right to have what you want exactly when you want it because on the menu of life, you are today's special and tomorrow's and the day after that, and well, you get the drift. Yes, that's right. We may be the king, but you, my friend, are the almighty ruler. That's exactly the trait that we're talking about. Now, why am I talking about this? Because individualism makes it very difficult for us to understand the whole concept of church, because church is a corporate entity, and it's something that is hard to grasp, it is difficult to picture. The Bible uses various pictures to help us, like the body, the flock, the temple, those kind of things, to help us to grasp what this corporate entity is. But it's not the same as the sort of the communist collective. It's not the same as that, where the individual doesn't matter and all that matters is this great sort of amorphous blob. It's not that kind of thing, and neither is it individualism, where we can't opt in and out and do our own thing. But let me give you an example about how difficult we find this. See, think about the reasons you might decide not to come to church one, term, one week this term. The reasons you might not come to church, you might be tired, you might have an essay deadline looming, you might be going home for the weekend, or well, there might be some other thing that is taking priority. Now, on their own, all of those might be perfectly good, justifiable reasons not to come to church, but just think about them. Are those reasons to do with other people and their good, or are they more to do with you and your good? And the point I'm making is that individualism just affects the decisions we make we tend to make decisions based on what is right for ourselves rather than what is right for others but now think about it in terms of why you are coming to church because it's what you need because you like it because you'll see your friends because you need the encouragement because you'll benefit from the teaching notice that the same sort of forces that cause you not to come to church are the very same forces that calls you to come to church well what are we to do let's just not bother coming (laughs) let's not give a reason no we need to come to church or not come for the sake of other people for the sake of the gospel for the sake of the church but it's not just about coming to church that's just a a small example it shows up in our general attitudes to things so I heard about a a youth group that started in a small church it was a, a church plant that was getting established and a handful of young people had started coming to the youth group Friday nights. The leaders prepped really hard during the week. And the parents of those young people, there were only kind of three or four or five young people, it was a very small uh, small church, small youth group. Some of them didn't quite realise that actually the existence of that youth group depended on their children, their young people, attending regularly and being faithful. And one of them kind of thought like this, and I've heard this sort of second hand, but if you can just imagine the thinking. Well, we've got something on this Friday night, and maybe the next couple of Fridays, it means that our children children are not going to go to the group. But of course the group will still happen, won't it? We can make our decision about what we're going to do on a Friday night on our own. The group will still happen. And then a few years down the track, there's a full-time youth worker, and she's getting paid. It's her job to be there. And in fact, now I think about it, I'm giving my money to church, so I'm part of how she gets paid. And so, although I would never put it so crassly, I can take my children out of the youth group and I needn't feel bad about it at all. Can you see how individualism is infecting that way of thinking? Well, we've got to put God at the centre, that's the cure to individualism. The cure to individualism is not communism, but, I guess, theism. (laughs) Putting God at the center. And some of you have already heard this. Thanks, Lydia. Um, but becoming a Christian involves that Copernican revolution, which puts God and his purposes at the center. And what is more closely tied than God's purposes, than the health and growth of the church? So going back to our youth group example. How should that couple have thought? Am I saying that they could never rightly have gone away for a Friday night? Of course I'm not saying that. But it was their thinking process that was wrong, wasn't it? It was just the way they thought about it. What they should have been doing was trying their best to organise family life and their individual life. Not to make life easy for them at the expense of the youth group, but to try and organise it for the benefit of the youth group so that their children's absence doesn't destroy half of the group. You see, that it might be the same outcome. The children might leave for that Friday night. Absolutely fine, we're free to do that. But it's the thinking process that goes on that is the difference. So when we begin to think about the nature of church, we begin to see things radically differently. Belonging to a church is, as I've already said in another context today, not belonging to a club like a gym where your membership can just sit on the shelf and come and go and lapse, as is your wish. Belonging to a church is to find yourself drawn in by God to a group of people to whom you now have a certain amount of responsibility. This is God's work. It's not something we actually elect to do. He has brought us into the church. And your fellow church members need you and you need them. Church is not the same without you because you are part of the body. And therefore, one of the most vital things we can do is put this stake in the ground in life that I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna be here, my children are gonna be here, my teenagers are gonna be here. My, I haven't got teenagers anymore, but you know, you get, well, I've got one, but she's now in Madagascar, so she can't be here, but you get the idea. Um, because every time you show up, you are declaring loud and clear that this group of people matter, and they matter more than all the other stuff that might otherwise take your attention. Now, can I say therefore that this spring term is a great term to build that habit into your life if you haven't done so before? There are ten weeks of this term. Why not decide that you're going to be here? How many weeks you're going to be here for? Five. Why not seven? Why not nine? Why not ten? Actually, don't be here for ten, because one of these weeks you're going to be on NYC, and if you haven't signed up for NYC. Tonight is the night to do it. I did notice, by the way, that there was a bit of a disparity between the men who'd signed up and the women who'd signed up, and it was the women who were winning at the moment in terms of signing up. So if you haven't signed up and you're the male sex, then man up and sign up (laughs) tonight. You take a lead and sign up to NYC. So you're only gonna be here for nine out of 10 weeks. You have permission to be missing for one of those 10 weeks because of NYC. But here's the point. You will only do that if you get the fact that the world is not about you, but it's about Jesus and what he is doing. And what he is doing is gathering together the people for whom he has died. So over the page, what is the church that Jesus is building? Uh, Let's have a look at this, and then we're going to pull this apart in much more detail in subsequent weeks. Um, If you could grab a Bible and turn to Ephesians 2, we'll spend the rest of our time uh, dotted around Ephesians just for the last a few minutes. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Consequently, you are... And we'll come back to that consequently in a moment. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. just want to introduce three fundamental ideas about church which we'll build on in future weeks. Firstly, it is the result of salvation. Using temple language from the Old Testament as a metaphor, Paul is saying that the church is the gathering or household, as we saw this morning, that Jesus has brought about by his death on the cross. Have a look where he unpacks this elsewhere in the letter. Um, 1 verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Or 5.25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And just before our passage, look at 2.16. In this one body, and in this one body to reconcile both of them, as Jew and Gentile, to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. you can see now why he begins in verse 19 with consequently as a result of jesus shedding his blood and the gospel of that shed blood being preached to the nations to both jew and gentile as a result of that there is church the bride of christ has been won and washed the jew and gentile has been gathered together in the church so remember in the old testament when they gathered around mount sinai Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 6, they were gathering there because God had redeemed them from Egypt through the Exodus. They had to kill the sacrificial lamb, they had to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and they had to escape. And the first really theologically significant thing they did, the first thing they did was complain about lack of food, but the first really theologically thing, significant thing they did, they gathered, God gathered them around Mount Sinai. He saved them, and he gathered them. And in Deuteronomy uh, 4, the the word there is used, the church of the living God, the church of Israel in the desert. And in the New Testament, the same thing has happened, but this time it's not the blood of the sacrificial lamb, it's the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. He has died to bring redemption, and when you are redeemed, you gather to God. He died to bring the church in existence. It is the result of of salvation as a result of preaching the gospel. Secondly, the essential activity in the church, the thing that creates the church, is the word of God. So in 2 verse 20, Paul says, it is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It's the prophets, meaning the Old Testament, and it's the apostles, New Testament, who, inspired by the Holy Spirit, have written the word of God by which we come to know Christ crucified. And therefore, when Jesus says, I will build my church, how is he doing it now? Well, we can understand maybe how he did it then, but how does he do it now? He's doing it through the the teaching of the Bible. It's the word of God which brings people the message of the gospel so they can be saved and come to know God. And it's this word that builds them into the people God wants them to be. And this is, of course, therefore, how we know whether this entity that we're talking about is a church that Jesus is building or whether it's just a human institution. Is it built on, established on the word of God? That is how, verse 21, the building is rising to become a holy temple and how, verse 22, the Ephesians are being built together to become the dwelling of God. And again, you can see this elsewhere in the letter. Have a look over at 113, 113. You also... You Gentiles were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So what is the church that Jesus is building? Well, let me sum it up like this. The church that Jesus is building is Jesus and the people he is gathering by his word. You might want to write that down, and we may come back to it next time. It is Jesus and the people he is gathering by his word. In other words, you can't have a church... Without Jesus. How is Jesus here? He is here by his word. And so the church that is the real church is the church where Jesus is present by his word, gathering his people to himself. And then in Ephesians, still, there's one third element we need to see the purpose. Church is a result of salvation, it's the result of preaching the gospel, but it also has a purpose which is to continue to preach the gospel to the nations. So have a look at 1 verse 9, 1 verse 9 and 10. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Here is that plan of God, that stewardship that we saw this morning. This is the thing that paul is really on about in ephesians he wants to explain to his readers the amazing and surprising thing that jesus is doing as he builds the church he is bringing back the scattered people of god he is repairing the damage that has been done since genesis 3 he's reuniting jew and gentile male and female slave and free rich and poor he's reversing the curse of babel he's bringing the exiles back He is remaking the broken world. It's all about Jesus making his greatness known to all the world. So let's conclude then by listening again to Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And as I say, if we use that as a sort of lens to see the world, it will change the way we see the world. And it will change the way we see church. If you think about the world, this is the great issue. This is the great crisis. Not whether Djokovic is going to play the open in Australia, which he's not. He's gone. Not whether Boris Johnson is going to last another week. Who knows? Not COVID, not the economy, not the climate change. The great crisis of our day, the great need, is that Jesus is building church—that That is the great issue that is going on. That's how we must see the world. And if that's the case, then we must join in that battle between the gates of Hades and Christ because we already know who the winner is. And therefore, let's back the winning horse, let's back the church because that's the one that is going to win in the end. And therefore, if there's one thing to take away this evening... It is this, it is building the church is worth everything you can give it. Jesus' church is powerful, although it looks weak. It is certain, although it looks so uncertain. Uh, It is unshakable. It is actually, if you think about it, the only indestructible institution on the planet. Think about it. Every other institution that has ever been created has been created by man. The Church of England, the United Nations, uh, um, name another institution, Lancaster Grammar School, has been here since the 14th century. Um, every single institution on the planet is at the whim of time and tragedy and death and all those kinds of things. The only institution that will last into eternity is the local church. That's got to be right, hasn't it? And so what are you going to throw your energy into? I say the local church because nothing can be wasted on it. Okay, well, let me give you a flavor of what we're doing over the next few weeks just to kind of uh, uh, expand on that introduction. What we're going to do, we're going to follow the story of the Bible through the theme of gathering and scattering. We'll actually see that the theme of the church is, is bigger than the theme of creation. And there are various ways we can summarize the Bible, but we'll, we'll do it this way. We'll, we'll grasp the big picture of the Bible through scattering and gathering. And we'll see how that through the church, God is actually remaking the world that was broken back in Genesis 3. Then we're going to think a little bit more kind of theologically about what the church is in the New Testament. So if that first talk is the kind of the, the, the long kind of bible story view we're then going to take a little kind of more detailed kind of like a theological sort of view and see if we can work out uh, what it means to say that the church is gathered on earth while gathered in heaven and that's going to be an exciting thing to get our heads around that we are actually we're in lancaster now but we're actually in heaven now and you didn't know that you you died and gone to heaven Well, you haven't You're, you're still alive and in heaven and we're going to think seriously about what that means and what that means for the for the church then we're going to think about what happens in church, uh, what sort of things should and and needn't happen. Uh, We're then going to think about how the church is built, what should our contribution be to it. We're going to spend a week thinking about the idea of worship, another area of of confusion. Is it that we come to church to worship or is that actually uh, not the best language to use? We'll think a little bit about unity, what does the Bible mean and expect when it talks about the unity of Christians? We're going to think through those other churches that I mentioned, the denominations and parachurch organizations. What are they? How should we think about them? How should we relate to them? And then we're going to think about how the church should be reaching outsiders, what the contribution should be to the church in society. Is it our job, for example, to uh, look after the creation, that kind of thing? We're going to have to think about that. And all the time, what should be in the background, in the forefront of our minds, is that this is the church that Jesus Is building. Let me put it this way to end. Christian ministry without a clear view of the church is like being invited to join a football team when you don't know how to play the game. So you dropped onto the pitch, but no one has told you that you meant to get that ball into those goalposts. No one has told you about the offside rule, the thing that you know we're always breaking when we're at school. No one's explained the game involves teamwork, passing the ball, that kind of thing. And so if you're a Christian. And you don't know what the aim of the game is. You, just, uh, you might be the most brilliant football player in the world. You might have the most incredible ball skills in the world. But if you haven't got a clue what the game is and that you're part of a team and that the purpose is to get the ball in the goals, then all the skills that you've got are going to be wasted. What you're going to end up doing is thrashing around for the rest of your life, whereas you could be building Jesus Church. And Christians without a clear doctrine of the church are a little bit like that. We might be able to do all sorts of things, share the gospel with our neighbours, encourage Christians, all sorts of wonderful things. But if we don't know what the game is, we may well be wasting our time. And none of us want to do that because we only have one life. So this topic really is a question about what am I doing in this world? What is God doing and how can I be involved in it? So let me uh, pray and then... We're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you that Jesus made that promise to his disciples, that he is building his church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We thank you that gives us great security. We thank you that means that our efforts to build your church to love your church, to grow your church will not be wasted because behind it all is Jesus, the great evangelist, the great missionary, the great church builder. And we want all our uh, efforts and all our ministry to glorify him. So please help us, we pray, as we think about these things. Please help us to grow in our understanding and obedience of your word so that we might be people who Jesus is using to build his church for his glory.